0: good morning good morning sir how are you i'm doing well i've been uh been vacationing a bit so feel feel pretty refreshed nice where were you two weeks ago i went to san diego and then this last week um, i spent a couple days up at uh, on the north shore of lake superior at a, one of my favorite cabin spots Ooh,
1: nice yeah was this like a think about work retreat or was it just a fun retreat
0: uh, mostly just a fun retreat. San Diego was both vacation and it was kind of a cool chance to meet up with Corey. Cause that's where Corey lives. And it's like in these strange companies that we're building where you could have remote teams, like <laughs> it's kind of sometimes it's rare having an opportunity to actually meet up in real life with uh, with one of your teammates. So, yeah. And then this was just we just got it on the calendar. Like um, I've enjoyed visiting the north shore in almost all seasons but we hadn't really been in the summertime yet so wanted to get up there and and see how things were up there it's nice it's a bit 10 degrees 10 degrees cooler than down in the city so a bit more comfortable and we uh hiked around a bit went swimming in lake superior which is pretty cool (laughs) it's a cold lake it's a giant one (laughs) but uh yeah it's fun nice
1: i was away this weekend myself i went to uh, pennsylvania and did some scuba diving
0: oh cool
1: yeah joel and his wife needed to finish their scuba certification with some open water dives i was already certified but i wanted to just uh, i haven't been in like seven years or something so i went with them and we did some kind of like training dives basically in a in a rock quarry that's like been converted into a scuba playground nice that's pretty cool they sunk like planes and boats into the water so that you can go down and check out and like use as training places. That's cool. I've never
0: I've never scuba dived before, but it sounds really fun.
1: It's I think it's really cool. Yeah. It's it's intense. Like it feels adventurous and and like it there is some there's a bit of danger there and you have to like have your act together and pay a lot of attention and like you have your regulator in your mouth that you're breathing from and you're carrying a backup in case someone next to you suddenly <laughs> loses their air supply and you have to shove in their mouth. <laughs> it's like it's like it's yeah, it's it's real
0: yeah i i'm curious to try it but i don't know if i'm that curious i'm i have a pretty decent fear of like being trapped deep underwater without <laughs> oxygen like <laughs> well <laughs> it might not be your sport yeah <laughs> although um so the the majority
1: of the diving that i've done was in like was in australia so like very warm water very clear you could see a long 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 way so even, like, 30 feet underwater, you don't feel like you're trapped or, like, you're super deep. It's just like, oh, yeah, I'm just in this pretty pool. Yeah, yep. So.
0: Last time I went to Mexico, we, like, snorkeled a bit in some cenotes. And and then when we were in there, of course, this was before I had my uh, laser eye surgery and I didn't have, like, prescription goggles or whatever. So I was basically going blind, which was a much worse experience. (laughs) Um, I sort of was just following the following the pack as best i could and not really able to see anything but i could see deep down there were divers in the caves you know with their lights on i mean that is just super dangerous because if you don't know where you're going you could easily just end up somewhere where you you don't know how to get back out so yeah, yeah.
1: i think cave diving is a super advanced definitely dangerous kind of variant of, of scuba
0: yeah yeah so
1: probably stay away from that one mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah the, the basic the basic version of it is 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 quite good I think it it was really interesting. We had this dive where we went down to about 30 feet or 25 feet. And then we followed a rope to this one of the sunken ships. And so we're like holding onto this rope and swimming down and we keep going deeper and deeper and it's getting colder and colder and darker. And then all of a sudden this like ship just like appears in front of us covered in like barnacles and dirt and rust. And it was it was pretty epic.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: Man, yeah. and so it's like that feeling of like okay now i'm like i'm pretty i'm like 60 feet down i can i can't see very far now i really need to keep it together because mm-hmm. like <laughs> at that depth you can't just shoot up to the surface like you can like get the bends by ascending too quickly from that far down you can't really panic you have to like even if you have a problem you're gonna have to like figure it out under the water <laughs> <laughs> Uh, i don't like that one bit i don't
0: think <laughs> i'm gonna be doing this <laughs> it
1: was pretty hardcore but it made me feel very alive you know it's like it's like yeah. you don't think about anything else yeah it's it was yeah. it was pretty incredible oh it's exhilarating
0: i'm glad you enjoyed that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
1: maybe uh sur- surface snorkeling might be more your style
0: yeah i'll stick with that <laughs> yeah. okay
1: Oh, man. I, I think we're on we're on some sort of list because I'm suddenly getting way more guest pitches for the show. I don't know what happened. I think we got added a database
0: or something. When we talked about it, they were like, hmm, maybe we'll try to win them over. Yeah.
1: I, I, I almost replied to a, someone this morning, all snarky, being like, yes, but our, our, our unwanted guest fee is $50,000. Uh, let me know and I'll send <laughs> oh, you my gosh. bank account details. <laughs> yeah. And they always have this thing where they don't include an unsubscribe link even though they're spamming me and well because i never subscribed to anything and the bottom says you know if you don't want me to send you any emails reply stop to this message and it's like you i hate this
0: yeah and it's very gray hat yeah for
1: sure super not legit
0: yeah this feels like it's an industry that is picking up some steam like people are just trying to use podcasts as content marketing basically and so there's more and more services popping up where you can just pay someone to go annoy a bunch of podcasters and i don't like it.
1: <laughs> we should set up a website to name and shame the guests. You know, we got to we got to fight this from the demand side. Yeah, we got to pick the right side of this equation. Let's call out the people who are hiring these people.
0: Cuz there's nothing wrong with doing a little doing a little hustle, of course, but you know, do your own outreach and make it Make a compelling pitch if you're going to pitch a podcaster, or do a little um, a, a degree of research first on like, is this a podcast that d- normally does guests? and if not, then maybe you shouldn't pitch them. Mm-hmm. Well, this is
1: kind of my last week of owning sales at Tuple.
0: Ooh, yeah.
1: So next week, our two new employees are going to be in the office. And I'm gonna be focused on basically handing off all the deals that are in progress and training uh, Stephen up on all the new stuff.
0: Very cool. It, it remind me, does he live in the Boston area? So are you, are you going to no. be in the office regularly?
1: No, okay. uh, he does not. He's in he's in the East Coast uh, Georgia, I believe.
0: Okay, okay. Yep.
1: But yeah, I'm excited about it. It's going to be good to get off my plate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been it's been a good it's been a good experience. I learned a lot of things i'm getting the hang of some things we i just finished another um negotiation like we just have another like signed another enterprise contract and every time it's like oh man I, I i did i did these new things right and then i messed up these things and so it's like okay i'm getting i'm getting some of it right and some of it wrong every time but like i'm slowly accumulating the list of mistakes not to make for next time
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so it's it's getting there
0: yep and there are a few things more satisfying than delegating a task like this or, or a job like this to an expert who already has those learnings and can actually do it better than you could.
1: <laughs> well, uh, unclear if... if he, So, like, Stephen has not done sales before, so his background is in success. So, the idea is that, like... Related, uh, but yeah. He, totally, yeah. So, like, I'm going to be more or less training him up on what I've learned, and then he's going to kind of take the baton and keep running with it. And I've actually introduced him to... A salesperson that is very experienced to act as like a, a mentor type so for when we do need the, that expertise the diligent following up and paying attention to all the things and making it somebody's full-time job is i think going to be a huge improvement over the, the current state of the world like as i was reviewing all the things in progress to hand off i was like oh yeah i lost track of these things while focused on these other things here and that's just very suboptimal <laughs> from a sales perspective
0: most things require more effort than a founder is usually able to give them. (laughs) You know, if you're spreading yourself even moderately thin, it's like we have a, we have an affiliate program and that has produced kind of moderate results so far. And I've learned just how much of like how much effort they really take to really kickstart and get off the ground. And it's easy to like launch something like that. You put it out there, uh, you add the link to your footer. Like we have an affiliate program, but then like, It requires like kind of continual effort, spaced out over time, to really uh, drive momentum on that on that channel. And like Corey's been doing that kind of behind the scenes. Like I'll see him send re-engagement emails from time to time to affiliates or let them know about a new feature or just you know and like these things that I just wouldn't wouldn't have thought of and probably wouldn't have um, spent the time on because I'm dealing with a million other things. So Mm -hmm.
1: totally, yep. Excited for this to be. I mean, like this especially this part of our business, totally warrants someone's full-time effort. So I'm very I'm very excited about that. I'm learning, I've been making a list, like I'm learning things with every deal, which is cool. Like we're starting, it's, it's starting to get pretty okay. Still making mistakes, but like learning new things. And like, I can tell you officially that Stripe is a customer. Mm. I have contractual oh, nice. <laughs> permission to mention <laughs> okay, this cool. now, which is nice. So like, that's like a thing I've started adding into our contracts now. It's like, we want to be able to talk about this sometimes it gets struck but sometimes not
0: they've been a customer for a little while right yeah. um yes. so how did that process go about on getting the approval of being able to say this publicly
1: um they wanted to put a an agreement in place beyond our normal terms of service and so we started um negotiating it and i just added in a section on like things we can do things that we want to do and like it's like we're this whole red line process where it's like okay here's the contract and i'm like yes no to to this to that and i added some stuff and they did not remove it so that's part of the deal
0: Hmm. wow and are you paying lawyers when you're like doing these custom contracts like this (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) okay (laughs) not putting on your best lawyer hat yes (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, that might be an area that could use some increased professionalization.
0: Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, good contracts should be decently readable and parsable by ordinary human beings.
1: Yeah, I go back and forth. So the thing is, like, I think that's true, but also that like, I don't really know the exact legal interpretation of a certain word. So I could just read a word and be like, oh yeah, that seems sensible. But it's like, no, no, no. In court, that means something like this. And I just, I just don't know that. So... I think, especially as we like step up our game on this process, it might be worth having some legal help in the loop.
0: On that topic, I get asked periodically, "Hey, are you GDPR compliant?" Which I, I mean, in my mind, we are doing all the diligence that we should be um, in terms of data data protection, data handling when when someone requests to del- to delete their data. We do that within the parameters of GDPR, but it is sort of a sort of a Pandora's box of um, complicatedness. And there is no such thing as being just like suddenly I've met every single checkbox and now I am compliant. It's like a lot of laws. It's like you make progress towards being compliant by demonstrating that you're not being negligent on all these various fronts. And it is sort of a large, complicated law. And so I've I'm always been like unsure how to even answer that question. It happened publicly a couple days ago. Someone someone asked, or I think it was like I think it was actually um, uh, Fathom Fathom Analytics's GDPR like chief data officer is she's like active on Twitter also, and like it was vetting tools, vetting scheduling tools, and then was like, all right, now I just need to like do a deep dive on their GDPR compliance. It's always a fun conversation to have in public where like people are waiting and watching how you're going to respond to that type of inquiry, you know. But I basically did the best I could, which is like, I think, you know, we're small right now, so we haven't invested gazillions of dollars into GDPR compliance efforts, but like we're making our best effort. And then she pointed me to some resources. She was like, you know, crack open a few beers and make it through this 2000 word article that I wrote about how a small SaaS can become GDPR compliant. So I actually read a little bit of that on my vacation. I'm not sure why I did that, but I was wow. curious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many, so many potential legal things to invest time, money and effort into uh, running a company like this. And the question is kind of like, when is the right time to level up sophistication, I guess?
1: Yeah. The official answer is like, yes, you must follow all laws in all places you operate all the time from day one. And then the reality on the ground is like, yeah, like the likelihood of you getting sued for this thing is just like so low that I wouldn't worry about this now. And like, oh, the penalties for not paying state tax over here, like you can just pay, you can just catch it up later, like there's all these like and that's that kind of sucks, right like it sucks that there's like the official answer, which is like incredibly burdensome, and then the real answer, which is like legally and ethically maybe dubious in places, and it's like ugh, wow, that's it's unfortunate that that's the that's the system
0: I know, I know,
1: yeah, it, it really feels like i mean I, I know there's this is not an actual solution but like it would be awesome if there was just sort of like a a grace period for new companies for for like everything it's like don't you're not going to pay taxes for your first million in revenue you don't have to comply with any of these things no one can make laws that say you have to do these things you know i clearly this is not an actual workable solution but like something like that would be would be really nice for the world
0: yeah i mean there are many many laws are structured that way i remember with with certain certain like labor related things for like small businesses they only kick in beyond 50 employees for example or Mm -hmm. a lot of sales tax collection you have to you have to sell at least several hundred thousand dollars worth of product in the state before like the sales tax stuff kicks in so you know but it doesn't apply equally to all laws and i think gdpr is pretty i don't think there's much carve out as far as i understand for for small businesses so yeah yeah
1: yeah, there's also this whole, like, can the EU actually make an American company do anything?
0: Right, <laughs> right.
1: And, yeah, yeah, it seems like opinions differ on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am extremely not a lawyer, so don't use this as GDPR to of advice.
0: <laughs> Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we got new people in the office next week. That's pretty exciting. Schedule some activities, going out to dinner. Um, It's going to be, there's going to be five tuplers in an office, which is a new record.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Is that the largest assembly of tuplers at once?
1: Yes, for sure. (laughs) I mean, it's exciting. Yeah. There's never even really been five before, practically. Yeah. I guess that's not totally true. But yeah, never never one place. Mm -hmm. I had some success getting a company to pay us a bunch of old invoices by threatening to shut them down.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> collections. <laughs> you get to do collections. Yes, nice. I've been doing collections as well.
1: That's yeah. uh, part of my many, many jobs currently. Um, but it was great because I could see them continually using the app. Clearly the developers liked it and wanted it. Um, and I tried so many times with like the team owner and then their accounts payable department and all that to like get them to go like respond and do the thing and they just wouldn't. And so I just emailed the whole team like hundreds of people and was like uh, unfortunately you you won't pay so i have to shut it down on this date and then like you know two hours later i get an email from oh, hold on hold on hold on uh you know i'm ccing this person and we're gonna try to make this work and then like suddenly <laughs> it's all it's all a thing ah that's so frustrating though a bit frustrating yes but rather than be frustrated i think my lesson is just to automate this so it's like when because we have you know uh, automated dunning of course but it just emails the like contact email which just doesn't always work and so i want to add like a little web hook or something where okay a week before we actually shut something down show a banner on everybody's tuple which is like hey heads up we're shutting you down you might want to contact somebody
0: right yeah you wouldn't want to like lead with that initially but there becomes a point somewhere before shutting everyone's account down where it makes sense to like say look Mm -hmm. you make your best effort to get in contact with your billing person because uh we haven't been able to so exactly yeah
1: yeah it's there's just so many little there's so many pieces of running a business Mm -hmm. it's like so many little so many little optimizations yep it's
0: a wonder they work at all
1: there's another one (laughs) i could picture why these companies exist that roll up similar businesses and then it's just like yet we just have a playbook for everybody or we even just have a centralized like collections are all done by this group like or like all accounting all back office stuff like you could see how you might want someone to just run the entire back office operation for five companies a hundred companies whatever there's just a bunch of things where it's like oh having discovered this trick now we will make it part of the
0: standard moves but you could roll that lesson out
1: to a whole bunch of companies
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah. I mean, I, there are some people who are obviously making this work very well. Andrew Wilkinson, right? Like like minting money by just scooping up <laughs> SaaS apps that are kind of at various degrees of success and like applying the playbook. It's pretty crazy. That's kind of not their model, actually, from my understanding. Like, oh, it, really?
1: Yeah. I think they think of themselves as a, like a holding company head office that is intentionally hands off. Oh, interesting. So like they don't okay. try to go for like synergy within the portfolio. Like, they don't. Cut special deals between the companies, or like roll, uh, or like combine pieces together in the back office kind of thing. Um, they're like they're more about like let's let's let them operate independently, hire ind- independent CEOs, that kind of thing. But there are other companies that do that do that thing that you and I are talking about. Someone point sent me a link to this. I guess they're kind of a VC firm, but their thing is they invest in like successful SaaS companies and that are like have traction or like a certain level of revenue and have done well so far, but then they, they invest, but they also then basically take over sales and marketing Hmm. because they're experts in that. And so they help you. They just say like, like you, you go focus on product. We're going to run these parts of the business that we're really good at. And it's going to, it's, you know, incentives are very aligned here. Um, That I thought that was kind of a cool model.
0: Hmm. So you potentially get some liquidity and by selling part of your company and because, are, or are they, yeah, they're investing into companies or are they buying them wholesale? I like think they're just, up? I think
1: they're just investing in them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But then they're like, we have a team of salespeople and marketing people and all this stuff. And we're going to, we're going to run those elements of the business for you.
0: That's pretty fascinating. That's very smart money. <laughs> if yeah. You think about it. You know?
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are like founders that like product and design and all that stuff and they don't and they know they should be doing sales and marketing and whatever but they don't really want to and so that thing of like not only are we going to give you some cash but like we're going to actually take over these parts like oh i can see how that's
0: appealing that's pretty appealing yeah right it's one thing to like level up your own skills on it but then to actually do it do it right at scale requires you to build and manage a team to do it and that's (laughs) that's a lot of work so i can totally see you know I would be hesitant to do that. I'm still hesitant to do that at this stage, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, what else is going on with you?
0: Um, still shipping quite a bit. Even though it's been a l- my my shipping spree has been a little bit interrupted by some <laughs> some time off, but kind of following on from the iCloud integration, got a Fastmail integration built, like it's mostly at the airport slash on a plane. <laughs> okay. Nice. Um, and it was definitely like the number three requested calendar integration right behind iCloud. I think there's a lot of people who, who like fast mail for the kind of the privacy angle, being, you know, ungoogling googling um, themselves. And so I think, and there are like relatively few scheduling tools that I've seen that actually integrate with them. So I think it's kind of a cool like, differentiation point, I think, and sort of philosophically aligns with, you know, with what our customers care about. So mm-hmm. this was pretty stoked to get that live. And it was nice because I could reuse like 90% of the iCloud integration because they're both using CalDav under the covers, but they each kind of have their own unique quirks. So I'm glad that I decided to build them as like branded integrations for the specific providers as opposed to just like this is a generic caldav integration because i think it's it would actually be quite difficult to like cover all the edge cases under one integration umbrella because even though they like they all claim to follow the same spec like they each are kind of deviating in their own peculiar ways so classic Yep, <laughs> as expected. It's like I'm enough of a realist to know that like there's no way they're all following the spec to a T and I can just build an integration that works for all of them. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So did you yeah. see a, a lift or a bump from your iCloud slash FastMail stuff?
0: Um, I actually haven't even dove in on the early numbers yet. Um, I kind of shipped it and then went on vacation and didn't really pay that much attention. And But it definitely got spread around a bit and drove drove a nice bump in trials and and signups and stuff. I do need to still dig in on that. And I think there's gonna be some some nice like co-marketing opportunities too with the Fastmail team, which I'm pretty excited about. Oh nice. Yeah. That's
1: that's great. That's another great standard move.
0: Right. That (laughs) yeah. You should definitely do. Don't don't not do it. (laughs) Integration marketing is a it was a powerful thing for drip in the early days. You know, we cranked out feel like something like on the order of 20 integrations within the first year and yeah it's definitely had an impact on growth so but but it's not just like
1: do the integration it's like get in touch with them figure out like okay what are we gonna do when are we gonna do it who's gonna send emails to whom can we use your list like
0: that exactly. whole thing yep yes that is it that is a vital step <laughs> which i think a lot of a lot of product-centric founders probably sometimes miss that step you know totally yeah. And then also on the integration front. So I worked like a couple hours each morning generally when I was on vacation, just, you know, while, uh, while my wife was asleep, <laughs> I could just slip in a little bit of time. And That's so it's was nice, kind of...
1: I like that cadence, actually.
0: Yeah. Joel yeah.
1: was doing that when we were at the lake. Like he would like wake up and do just a little bit of work in the morning, just like clear the inboxes, keep things up to date, answer questions and then think it out.
0: The trick is to stay because I didn't do this perfectly every day. And it's as long as I stay in the realm of like, small enough tasks that I can that I can mark as complete on on a checklist. And in my own mind, as like, Yep, this is a unit of work that I was able to accomplish. One day, I like started working on some task that was like, I could get, you know, 10% of the way into it and just start to build up the mental model on it. And then like, I needed to, I needed to call it for the day. And that was it took me a good hour to like, reorient my brain to not be like frustrated that I like left off on this thing that I was just just embarking on you know for most days it was just kind of like go in the support queue follow up on some some support tickets um, maybe work on little a few small tasks here and there one of those was kind of looking into how to advance our Zapier integration forward so there's kind of the Zapier approval flow has, has matured over the years so it's even different from when when I built like the drip integration way back in the day but like you can build your integration and ship it as private, and then you can invite people to use the Zapier integration, which we had. So we had a link in the UI to like accept an invite to use it privately in your own Zapier account. The next step beyond that is once you get like five or ten users, I think, who have activated, then you can um, submit it for approval to be like publicly listed as a beta um, integration. And then from there, once you get to 50 users, then they will like kind of put you into their partner program and they'll, you know, include you in roundups and and there's a whole there's a number of things you need to do for that. You need to build zap templates, you need to get at least 50 users, and there's like submit some help documentation and and a couple other checklist items. So I just sort of started chipping away at those. Thankfully, like the approval into public beta status came within within like eight hours of me submitting the thing. So I was pretty stoked about that. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about the the prospect of like getting to do some more co-marketing with Zapier also because they're they're quite a uh, quite a marketing machine. <laughs> Especially For their sure. SEO engine, you know they,
1: speaking of integration
0: marketing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's sort of the uh, sort of the epitome of it. So so yeah, actually a call to action to AOP listeners too. Like I am trying to actively recruit folks to you know, enable our Zapier integration with SavvyCal. And so if you're a SavvyCal user or you're curious in checking out the product, uh, it would definitely be a major help to, to us if you, would, uh, if you would check out in particular our Zapier integration. And I'll link to it in the show notes. I'm trying to think if there's anything I
1: would use that for. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I'm a pretty simple user. Like, I pretty much am always just setting up a call that doesn't really have any other things happening. So I'm not sure I'm the right candidate here.
0: Yeah, because you're not you're not really using it for you doing like product demos or anything at no, this point, right? No. Yeah, it's almost always just like a generic chat with
1: somebody for some reason.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, probably less. Yeah, less use cases for around that more like big one we see is is like people hooking it up to their email marketing system or their, uh, you know. Uh, customer i o or whatever to um record when someone books a demo things like that but Hmm.
1: what are you using for to do tracking by the way
0: uh what kind of tracking
1: like you said oh i was like working on small tasks in the mornings Mm -hmm. like where's Mm. where's your list of those
0: so most
1: things i try (laughs) i'm zooming out how do you decide to do each day
0: (laughs) okay okay
1: because so like I, here's my motivation. I have I use Omnifocus. I'm like a pretty I'm a long-term user of this product. And this is actually a great question for steven because he's all about this, but we'll see. So I have like all these tasks and projects in Omnifocus, personal and work. and it's just kind of like this huge list and it's not ordered. and it usually feels kind of overwhelming to like go through it and say, okay, which of these things should I do first or next or what's highest priority? and so i end up kind of with like a random selection sometimes from the list or i just have a thing in my head where i'm like i really just want to do this thing and i'm just going to do it and i'm not even tracking it anywhere i just want to do this today and it feels kind of haphazard
0: mhm yeah i don't i don't feel like i've developed any better system than what you've got <laughs> basically mm-hmm. um i started I think I talked about this like a month ago. Like I was feeling like I was losing, just dropping a bunch of threads on on just random to dos, and so I, I think I checked out OmniFocus, and then I realized I had um, things still installed on my computer. Things is just like a it's a very well designed Mac native application for tracking like to do lists and things. So I just kind of started using that, and they have a they have a phone client and and a Mac native client. So. I've been using that to anytime I, you know, I get a Slack DM in some random Slack channel and then I need I've now looked at it and now I need to remember to come back to it. I'll like log it in there. I have a little backlog of things in that that I will occasionally tackle <laughs> when I have a little little slice of time. And then all all my other tasks I'm tracking in Linear. So I'm trying to keep trying to keep inboxes and to-do lists to a minimum. I mean, that's my overarching goal. You know, I have the email inbox my things to-do list and my linear inbox and ideally i try to keep those as the main things that i'm checking and when i'm trying to like figure out what to what to bite off for you know for a work session
1: do you have trouble getting going on a thing
0: definitely from time to time i do i think you know the the age-old trick of like leaving a little easy task to do for yourself at the end of the previous work session. I try to do that as much as possible. And that usually that's the, the number one thing that gets me warmed back up on something, you know? It, leaving things in a state where I can easily like if it's development related, I'm I'm a big fan of like filing a pull request for myself and trying to leave it leave it in a place where like I can just go and like review, catch myself back up on where I left off so I can so I can get started as quickly as possible. There are tasks that I regularly procrastinate on that I haven't figured out how to hack myself into being able to get get motivated to do. But yeah, those are kind of my my main tricks, I guess.
1: I miss that about coding, is that I feel like I had the least trouble getting myself started writing code. And because I could often would like leave myself a failing test or like a to-do comment or whatever. Occasionally I would have some resistance there, but usually it was just kind of like, all right, let's dive into some code. This is going to be kind of fun. But it's not the same for like, I really need to figure out what our plan for X is going to be. That doesn't have the same like, all right. It doesn't feel exciting to start that. Usually it's like, all right, I'm going to make myself do this now.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a, an element of like knowing that this is going to be an exercise of willpower to like. To force myself to be in this, st- it feels like a mental slog for 10 to 15 to 20 minutes. <laughs> and then once I make it through that slog and then I'm kind of steeped in the task, then it's then it's not such a slog. If it's like, yeah, something like brainstorming something high level. It's like, where do I even begin to to start working on this? But if I can get over that hump. So, I mean, I have managed to, from time to time convince myself to like, don't worry, this this like feeling of it being a slog is not going to last the entire duration of the session hopefully so just you know mental coaching i guess
1: (laughs) part of me wants to have like restrict myself more to do list wise because i think maybe a weakness of OmniFocus is that it, it lets me just add more and more stuff to it and so it feels like an overwhelming list of things that are all were pretty good ideas at some point and i review it and i call things so it's not like you know you have to of course you have to maintain it and trim it but even so it's kind of like 150 pretty good task ideas (laughs) it's like i mean yeah Mm -hmm. these are all like you know these are all pretty good Mm -hmm. and i almost want to just like move to like i'm gonna use an index card and like i'm just gonna write a fresh one each morning and whatever's on there i'll do do that instead like and I think there would be you know certainly weaknesses of that, but like the I'm feeling a little bit the pain of the like infinitely expandable to do list right
0: for a while I was trying to like proactively keep the backlog small for the same reason as like if I end up with three hundred things and many of them were filed like nine months ago, you know am I really gonna come back to that? Was it really that important in the first place but but also like then if you don't do that, then I feel like you know potentially like I'm missing out on the opportunity to. To keep kind of this artifact where like, well, if if eventually over time I'm noticing like an increasing number of people requesting a certain feature or something, then it would be nice to have a record of that. Like burning the record doesn't really serve much purpose, I don't feel like. Like it's only potentially, you're only potentially losing information that you could have used later on. So I've kind of shifted towards like, I keep a backlog, but the backlog... I'm not driving my work off of the backlog. It's still like a deliberate planning process and then I will pull things out of it when I'm planning like a batch of work. Like I don't care if there's a bunch in that bucket because it's a place to just accumulate information around potential ideas. Hmm. Skeptical. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Like what about that is is seems bad, I guess? Um, I think
1: backlogs are fine as long as they auto-delete after... 100 days or something hmm.
0: like I, but like but like do you ever have ideas for tuple that last longer than 100 days
1: oh yeah all the time
0: so then where do you put those
1: well i i mean so like right now i stick them on a list in OmniFocus that is like a, a non-activated to-do list it's like a, it's like paused basically so it's just like it's just like a bucket i mean those are kind of useful i guess occasionally for inspiration if i flip through them I'm skeptical about the value of an idea that you think of or some information that you record that then you don't look at for months and months and months. And like, yeah, like if if a thing in the backlog is like a bug that has like some investigation along with it and some links to help scout tickets. Okay, that seems like a, a reasonable like that should probably live somewhere. But the idea that the backlog is a collection of things that one day you're going to activate and turn into new features, I just have not really found to be true on almost any team I've worked on. Mm. It's almost I always maybe fresh stuff added sort of more recently.
0: I might be redefining then how I treat my backlog. I think that's probably... Like, to me, a backlog is just a bucket of things that are not necessarily going to convert into to-dos. It's just, it's just a place to triage ideas basically ideas yeah so it's like it's still very much a maybe bucket it's not like a like it's everything in there is subject to being canceled at some point sure or you know
1: but then yeah I mean doesn't it just grow over time doesn't it doesn't it want to to, like it's it's so much easier to add a thing to the backlog and Mm -hmm. in my experience they only get bigger
0: right but I guess like what's the drawback of it getting bigger like
1: well what's the value of 800 things that you're not going to do right now
0: searchable archive of past ideas, I guess. Is that useful? I mean, if something comes up again and then you find like, oh, actually I've recorded five different conversations with customers in the past who have discussed this with me. And, you know, I don't know. I think it's sort of like a, just a a knowledge archive of past ideas. Like I don't see a, I don't see a drawback to having them there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel this like um, philosophical stress about it or something. It feels like I'm like an inbox clearer, you know, like the big pile of things sort of like exerts like psychic strain on me to some extent, Um, which is, I guess, kind of a me problem. I think it's kind of like a fill. I feel like it's kind of like how you think of the backlog. Like if it's just kind of like a poorly organized (laughs) knowledge base, that happens to sit next to your highly organized task tracking system fine but that feels wrong to me that feels like go start a wiki and you know like make it like link it together and you know index it and you know make it more organized if, if you want a big pile of ideas and thoughts and links and stuff don't put it right next to the the column that's like this is stuff we're doing for real that has been thought about and is all high priority. Those feel like like two different products right. to me almost.
0: Yeah, which I've managed to like, I never view them next to each other. Like when I'm looking in linear, like the backlog view is its own view. And then there's the, I have my other phases where like, I'll sometimes move things into to-do. For a while I had like an up next and a to-do, like two separate phases where I could put things in. And then I, did, then I figured out like those both are kind of, they were sort of arbitrary, so now I've been more aggressive about like it's either in the backlog, or it's been promoted to a to do, and I keep the, the to do is like that's the inbox that I'm aggressively trying to keep small, yeah, yeah. Um, And then there's in progress, and then there's done, you know. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I guess I haven't like I kind of looked at Rome, and then I was just so turned off by their uh, UX that I just yeah. could not get yeah. activated, yeah. and I use Obsidian. It's, it's weirdly like, user hostile. Yeah, extremely hostile. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'm
1: trying to uh, reflect, by the way.
0: Oh yeah, I just Alex Macaws um, Yeah,
1: definitely not a gnome knock or Rome knockoff uh, <laughs> product, uh, but actually, you know, made by someone that cares about design and UX, which is uh, yeah, kind of nice.
0: Yeah, the backlog's making me not the ideal place to put this stuff, but it feels better to me than having it in a random text doc somewhere or in some strange wiki thing where like it's hard to search like I can very easily search through my linear backlog <laughs> you know um versus like this other place and then like I don't know I'm liable to change up the other place And so then am I gonna moot port all this knowledge over if I really want to keep the knowledge not that I not that I'm like it's necessarily an actionable to do yet but like I just want to keep it around and I want to keep it in a place that's consistent and I feel like a. I haven't really found this other like extension of my brain type of platform because Rome's not doing it for me. Obsidian's fine, but it still feels too disorganized to be the place where I put these like potential ideas to build into the product. So mm. I don't know.
1: I will say, uh, so yeah, because I, um, I look at our linear board and I, the fact that you can hide the backlog on that view helps me because like it, it really is kind of just like there's this infinite column over here. Of what feels like more or less distraction, like it's a it's a knowledge base basically over here, right next to my otherwise organized swim lanes of stuff that's happening. And so once I hid the backlog on that view, I stopped caring about it as much.
0: Right. Like <laughs> I feel like if you're tripped up by the term backlog, then just create a just create another category <laughs> and put it in that bucket. You know, like I don't know. I, I just I'm not I'm trying not to get too tripped up over the terminology, um, and I don't have. I don't have a, personally a ton of baggage around the word backlog. I think a lot of people in the dev community do, so they get have all these strong opinions about like what what constitutes something that's eligible to go into a backlog. And for me, it's just like I just treat it as a triage area, so it's not. I'm not too precious about it, you know.
1: But that's I don't think that's actually true because if you treat it as a triage area, then you would empty it.
0: I mean, who says you have to empty it?
1: Well, I'm just saying triage is taking a thing that's in your queue deciding what's going to happen with it and then shipping it out of wherever it is like like hospital triage is literally that like you keep the waiting room totally empty so you can triage people whatever it doesn't matter <laughs> it's, it's you're using it like a, a holding pen it's, a, it's okay. a queue from which you might pull stuff right anyway i think if everyone in the world deleted all their backlogs it would be fine
0: ah i think but you, then but you're a you're a fan of knowledge archival though right uh yeah. So you're saying delete so say the knowledge delete, okay, archive. Delete maybe is a wrong word. Uh yeah. Why would you want to delete a knowledge archive? That's what I'm trying to get at, you know? Yeah. Or or you're just yeah. advocating for moving it into omnifocus or something, which then you're just not omnifocus. Then it's just tool fiddling. Or roam or reflect.
1: <laughs> um I just yeah.
0: I've never understood because like the base camp guys have been very like, we, we never write any ideas down and if it's important, it'll resurface. And I'm just like, that feels way too uh, like, why would you want to, I don't trust my own brain to make those connections, to remember the connections that would potentially be high value down the road, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: So yes, that's a fair point. Capturing knowledge, writing it down. If you have like a well-named ticket or whatever, and you've done some research and you put some data in there, That's not so bad to have around that. I mean, there's there's value in that for sure. But I guess as like a product owner, the fact that a year and a half ago, we were like, oh, we should add a keyboard shortcut for this. And someone was like, oh yeah, we could do it in the whatever controller. I feel like I have this never-ending stream of like up-to-date features I want to build, you know, based on the feedback I've heard most recently. And so like the old stuff or like the old bugs, like, oh, this has been a bug since February, but it doesn't seem like we're not getting any reports of it lately so the record of the fact that this was a bug in february eh. i mean maybe the answer here is just like that you archive a bunch of
0: stuff yeah you periodically you, review you review it the yeah. backlog to keep it from turning into that's 10, prob- i
1: guess that maybe that's what yeah. like savvy people are doing that there's like a missing yeah. step for me yeah but i'm gonna have more time for this uh, once i hand <laughs> yeah. off sales so now that you're not doing sales yeah, it's going to be great. So maybe I will do a whole ba- I'll, I'll do a backlog day and we'll <laughs> have a nice tidy backlog. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you have okay. a large backlog right now?
1: We have 220 items in our backlog.
0: Well, that's not so bad. I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, oh, like, and then we like, we have like 20 bugs here in the needs reproduction category. It's like, well, that's like, I guess that's useful. Kind of, it's like there's someone reported a bug. We can't reproduce it. All right, well, that's I bet there's a lot of those. I don't know.
0: I guess that's when I say when I say triage. Like eventually, someone should like if it's in the backlog and it's in filed as needing reproduction. Someone reported a bug, and you're like, okay, we couldn't figure out right away. So eventually, someone should there should be some process where someone goes and reviews that, and then either decides like is this important or not. And I feel like that is a that is a. Proper place for something to fall and sit in the backlog labeled as such, and eventually someone comes by and either decides to just archive it or like slot it into a stream of work.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'm backlogging wrong. Maybe maybe I'll like it more if I backlog differently.
0: Yeah. Probably backlogs do need tending.
1: Yeah. I think that might be the missing piece here. Fine. I won't delete everything in here.
0: I mean you can Yet. I'm just saying like.
1: <laughs> I'm kind of the only one with the opinion, this opinion on the team so I would not unilaterally delete everything <laughs> but, good call yeah. um, I'm going to be on another podcast tomorrow what? you're stepping yeah, out? that's, that's right oh. I am abandoning you for one episode all right what's um, going to be? Uh, the Talking Too Loud podcast Wistia's uh, podcast Oh, cool! Which I'm excited about. I did not cold email them and ask to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> I did not pay someone to cold email them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I was just chatting with uh, Chris Savage, and he was like, "Oh, hey, we should have you on the podcast." And I was like, "Sounds great. Cool. Uh, yeah." So that'd be cool. Fun. Guesting on podcasts is my one of my favorite things, actually. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> I don't know if people know, but like, I feel like if if you're if you're comfortable being on a podcast and just kind of talking extemporaneously, mm-hmm. it is so easy to be a guest on somebody else's podcast. Mm-hmm. It's yep. like small time commitment. The thing itself, I find personally fun, and often quite a good like marketing event for for your company. Yeah. You. Yep.
0: Totally. It. Yeah, it's nice because it's an it's an audience that it's like it's one. Th- we have this this long. <laughs> this long serial podcast here where like everyone's sort of up to speed on everything we talk talked about. So we have to pull out kind of our best newest insights anytime we're, we're talking. But if you're like exposed to a new audience, there's all kinds of like other things they may pull out of your backstory that like other people know on your main podcast, but this audience doesn't know yet. And totally
1: I get to reuse all my this. stupid jokes.
0: Yep. Tell all my stories. <laughs> yeah. It's, yep. it's the
1: old man's dream. Mm hmm. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I looked the other day. I think we, you and I have done something like 400 podcast episodes together.
0: Right, because we I had was, a bunch on Giant Robots. I think it's been
1: about eight years now of weekly podcasts.
0: My goodness. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I
1: don't, I'm don't. i not tired of it, though. <laughs> no, no. It's, <laughs> it's, still, it's still fun. <laughs> yeah. That's handy. It's a new week every week. It's really nice that we found, like, I, I think it's the same for you. You also enjoy, you know, find it to be like too much work or anything and so like it's nice to have a thing like that where it's like this is you know a marketing channel for us uh, among other things and i don't feel at all like oh i gotta get this week's content out to feed the marketing machine but like when i wake up thursday morning and i'm like oh it's aop today i'm like nice this is like just like a actually this is like one of my favorite mornings of the week like i make my coffee i stay home because my, my setup is at home and so it's like going to the office late after having already done a thing that's useful for me in the business it's like that just feels good
0: Mhm. very nice yeah so let's keep I doing enjoy it as well let's do it
1: okay but let's stop doing it now okay <laughs> okay that's the show notes for the show you can be found at art thanks for listening see ya
0: goodbye